and welcome back to the Rearview Podcast and welcome back to Series 2, Episode 8, where today we will of course be talking about the Styrian Grand Prix and quite possibly one of the duller we have seen this season in what has been a very exciting season. Some people might even argue that the most entertaining part of the weekend involved Daniel Ricciardo and John Cena. More on that in a bit. But as always, I'm joined today by my wonderful co-host, Mr. Reese Keeble. How are we, Reese? Hello, yes, no camera, because I am currently dying. I had to be scraped out of bed with a spatula uh, to come and do this podcast. However, it's coming home. So It's coming home. It's coming home. That's I'm, why it's late. Apologies yeah. for it being late. It's my <laughs> fault. I was out last night. We were meant to record it last night, and then I called Tom when we got in, and Tom deemed that I was in no fit state to record with him, <laughs> and uh, rightfully so. Yeah, so if you're wondering why this hasn't gone up on, on the Wednesday, it's because we're recording it on the Wednesday. So that means it will have to come out on the Thursday. But blame Reese. You know, tweet him. At, is it yeah. at Reese Keeble? What's your tweet? Uh, I'd rather not. I'd rather not specify that. <laughs> Just tweet the review page and Tom can get all the slack. <laughs> uh, what did you make of that race then, Reese? You know, I think it might be one of the first times this season that we've, we've sort of seen straight dominance from, from Verstappen over Hamilton. Yeah, it was a it was a bit of a weird one because we've always been asking for the Hamilton dominance to end, but we didn't particularly want it to start in another car. We were just hoping for competitive races like we've had all season. Um, but yeah, it, it it was the first time that we've seen something like that. I always get surprised at how many cars end up getting lapped by the end of the race when we go around uh, when we go around Syrian. So yeah, Syrian, Syrian. It's not it's not the Syrian Grand Prix. <laughs> We're not in Syria. Syrian. Syria. Right. Anyway. Um, Syrian. Like I say, it was a bit of a boring race. There wasn't a crazy amount of stuff. And we'll talk a bit more about Verstappen Hamilton a little bit later on. But I want to start by talking about someone who who really, you know, was looking promising for a certain good weekend. And that was, of course, George Russell, who had a cracking qualifying. Only just missed out on Q3 by, I think, 0.006 or something it was. Uh, and ultimately managed to be promoted to P10 on the grid with, you know, Sonoda's penalty. It was looking good for him for points. He was he qualified in a good spot in the race up until the point where obviously, unfortunately, he retired. He was doing really well for points. I think he was P8. But the F1 gods just are not playing nice with George. You know, he looks set for some some really good points. Just have it dragged away from him, taken away from him, and. He just can't catch a break, can he? Like whenever he's in a good position in a good race, you know, think back to Bahrain last year when he took over for Hamilton. Just something out of his control seems to just rip it away from him, something he cannot deal with. It's very unfortunate for him because there's no reason why this should be happening. I think George right now is one of the unluckiest drivers in F1. Mm. Like that it's so so unfair for him, and I feel really sorry for him. But this next weekend coming up well, arguably starting tomorrow, um, I, I can see Mr. Russell getting some points. He loves the track. The, he said the car loves the track. So there's no reason for him not to get... There's no reason for him to get unlucky two weeks in a row. But knowing him, he probably will. I think uh, he said in a lot of interviews before the race and, and during the race as well, well during the race, after the race, he really liked the car this weekend. He felt that that Williams car was one of the best he's driven since he's been at Williams. He was very happy with it. Before even qualifying, he said he thought the car could get to Q3, and he very nearly did. Uh, I don't know. It's so frustrating, isn't it, for him? There's obviously a lot of rumours as well going on at the moment that he might get Bottas' seat next year, this, that, and the other. 
Where, where do you think George Russell is right now as a driver? Do you think he's he's ready to take that step up or has he been ready for ages? I, I think George Russell's been ready since his uh, rookie season. Mm. Uh, like After that season, he, he'd, he'd proven himself in a Williams that really wasn't good. Now they've got a semi-competitive Williams, as in they're not always like three laps down. Mm. Um, he is looking really, really good and arguably looking better than... Uh, Mr. Bottas. Interesting. I think, I think it shows as well from, from when he was in Hamilton's car last season because he really took the race to Valtteri. And you've got to think that George pretty much has no experience on that car. They had to like they had to change something for him so that his feet could reach the pedals. Oh, it was yeah. his shoes, wasn't he? He had to change his shoes, so therefore he had a really uncomfortable drive and still really performed against Valtteri. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, I think this is it. So I don't know. George is a cracking driver. You just feel like he is just the unluckiest driver. George needs a move away from Williams, yeah. in my opinion. And yeah. the only move that he's going to get in the Mercedes drivers program is Mercedes. I mean, oh, yeah. there's an there's argue no that else, yeah. well, there's an argue that Alpine, but Alpine is very much they, they've they've committed to Ocon and. Um, Alonso, oh, Al- Alpine aren't so. interested in Mercedes, not even slightly. They don't even want them. The only reason they took Ocon is because he's he was a Renault driver before he was a Mercedes driver. And yeah, true. Ocon, Ocon's now cut all ties to Mercedes. There is no other team apart from Williams that Mercedes have any sort of influence over. I'd they had that, Racing Point, but now that's Aston Martin. There's nothing there, I don't think. I'd argue that if George doesn't get promoted this season, or by the end of this season at least, he should be looking elsewhere for a drive. And he will not find it hard to get one. Well, this is the thing, though. But I, I sort of think Williams this season, especially, are in a position where every other team is fighting for something, and Williams don't really have anything to fight for. They haven't for the past three years. There's a huge regulation change coming next year. If Williams is smart and play their hand right, they will take full advantage of that and spend this entire season developing a car for next year that will be you know, world beating will be at the front of the pack. And you, I mean, it would just be George's you, luck that he'd leave to Mercedes the year Williams got good, wouldn't it? Yeah. Do you, what do you think the probability is on that happening though? I think it's quite high. I think it's quite high. Okay. Um, I've just obviously recently done a lot of research into Braun GP. And when you look at Braun's season from 2009, it's a very similar position to where Williams are now. They were nowhere in 2007, 2008. The regulations came in for 2009 and they developed over the 2008 season an excellent car that went on to win the championship in 2009. That's how it works. If you can afford to throw away a season to develop a better car, you usually will do better. So, Do you want to, uh, do you want to give that a little cheeky plug? Because I know you've uploaded it now to YouTube. <laughs> I haven't no not not yet onto the rear view it's coming onto the rear view I think oh, is it coming to the Silverstone. rear view yeah it's coming onto the rear view I think okay. before Silverstone because we won't have a podcast that week there's a week break yes. that's the week I think it'll be coming out so keep an eye out for that it will be coming out soon on onto the rear view uh, uh, channel uh, what are you Reese has heard it Reese what do you think of it oh it's alright <laughs> no it's really good yeah. it's it's a very good documentary on the inside of Braun GP if I say anything else Tom's head will get too big and he'll try and do this podcast by himself <laughs> yeah no but I think because obviously we're doing Silverstone Live if you don't know about that if you haven't already heard about that where you been we're going to do we're going to be doing Silverstone Live we're going to be at Silverstone so there's going to be a live podcast from Silverstone um, 
so that's exciting. And then obviously, yeah. Tom's going to go get on. some weird looks in the middle of Silverstone when he whips out his PC and starts doing his big setup <laughs> on racetrack. No, nah, I think it'll be a, a bit less. Uh, the, the production quality might not be quite as big, but uh, I'm hoping we can do something good for you. I assume we're just we're just going to do it from our tent, aren't we? Realist. I mean, we'll do Pretty some much. stuff live from the. So I, I reckon we could get some stuff done. Like, I mean, this is all the the. Um, logistics part that the listener doesn't need to hear but i reckon we could do some recordings on our phone at the circuit and then slice that together in a live podcast yeah yeah we could probably do we could do it we could do a silverstone vlog i don't want to be one of those people although i have been binge watching them so right well oh, yes. um, um, speaking of which open. speaking of which we haven't explained why we're not in the same room that's true um so uh covid happened yep. and my house has been put into lockdown so i'm not allowed to leave i don't have covid i would like to say to someone that i live with does so that means that um i'm not allowed to leave the house to come and see reese uh, how are you coping without me reese not very well it's been three days and for all three of the days i've been extremely lonely oh that's sad we've got to watch soon the i've like soon. i booked us a table for the footy last night and everything so mm, i'm sorry i'm sorry yeah. Um, Any right. whom, let's I feel move like on we've, with we've rambled F1 enough news. there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, keep your eyes open for the next couple of weeks because there's some big stuff coming. So if you're not already, do what it says on the TV there. Subscribe to the Rearview Podcast. There you go. Look at that. Good bit of set use. Uh, right now, let's get back onto the Syrian Grand Prix. I feel like we've had a nice little detour there. Um, let's talk about someone who won Driver of the Day this weekend. And after unfortunately taking Pierre Gasly out on the first lap uh, by clipping his front wing, he went on to make an incredible uh, comeback drive. Of course, it's Charles Leclerc, who went from pretty much last on the first lap to managing finishing P7. He really did have a good drive. He took some brilliant overtakes on the way. Reese, I know as a McLaren fan, that's not what you want to hear. Both Ferraris getting points this weekend, only one McLaren getting points. But you have to give him some kudos for that drive, right? That was a magnificent drive from Leclerc. It was. However, you've got to take away from him that stupid, stupid mistake that essentially put Gasly out with the race. Mm-hmm. How, how, uh, as, a, as, a, as a top F1 driver, how do you make that mistake of, like, I, we, I understand what he was doing. If you don't know what incident I'm on about, first lap, um, it, they were both going up to the second turn, turn two. Um, turn three. Was it turn three? Is turn two hidden non-existent turn. Yeah, yeah. I knew there was a <laughs> one. So yeah, they were, they were both going up to turn three, mm-hmm. and Charles wanted to get behind Gasly to get a bit of a slipstream, but he tried to pull behind Gasly before he had the space to, and just yeah. clipped his wing off his tyre. Such a silly mistake to make, and that essentially spoiled Gasly's race, and Gasly was looking very, very good. This weekend it was. Uh, that, it, I mean, that was disappointing for, for Gasly because he he qualified well. He was looking good, and unfortunately, he went out very early. There was also a weird incident with the club when he was getting past Raikkonen. That he did the same thing, but in reverse, and clipped the front of Raikkonen's car. I think I don't know if that Ferrari's maybe got longer since last weekend, but it was almost as if Leclerc <laughs> didn't quite know the length of his car. Yeah, like he clipped yeah. the back of it off Kimi's front wing. He clipped the front of it off Gasly's from uh, rear tire. Mm, but apart know. from that, it was it was a it was a cracking race for him. To be fair, the he fact was that he was basically a lap down because he had to do a pit stop, um, yeah. and obviously a pit stop is basically half a lap realistically, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And all the time that he wasted, so he went from realistically being a lap down to um, 
to to seventh, which isn't, isn't bad for him. No, no, definitely. I, not. It was, I it did was just clock. I did just clock, and I did say clock then. Um, how many times I just said realistically? So I mean, well, I'll realistically, keep... you know, it was realistically a really yeah. I'll, uh, realistic I'll realistically keep my eye on how much I'm saying realistically because realistically it could get quite annoying for the listeners. <laughs> See now, this this is the thing about this race because it was. I don't know. Would you say it was a bad race, Reese? Like in terms of entertainment wise. So, right. This is probably not what you want to hear. It was an alright race. However, I did find myself checking my phone a little bit more than usual during mm. it. Because normally I, I like try and put my phone away, like because, you know, I've, I've basically got ADHD, so I can't focus on something for long enough. So I try yeah. and put my phone out the way and just sit and watch the telly. But I did find myself keep checking it and checking it and stuff like that. Ended up listing some things on Facebook Marketplace near the end of the race. <laughs> so, so well, this is it. So, every, before every podcast, a bit of an insight into how the podcast works here. I we we have a Google Doc um, folder with everything for every episode, and we have we make a, a sort of template for every episode of talking points about the race and what we want to go on about the race and and usually i make that by going through the probably the f1 highlights video or notes that i make during the race that uh, are noteworthy um events that, that occurred for this race i sort of struggled to find i think that that ticked those boxes there wasn't an awful lot and obviously i've just we've, we've spoken about charles we're talking about george and those probably were the two main drivers that really stuck out during this race i think what doesn't help us out as well is that our old uncle ted was off this weekend and I normally know. Where am I we just my content from consider it yeah normally we just pinch the content off him and just ramble about it a little bit more <laughs> yeah no exactly and so he, he did make it a little bit <clears throat> a little bit trickier this weekend uh coming up with stuff and i think this this was a very unique race in that sense because this season i mean last year and the years before we've had quite a lot of these kind of races where not much has happened and one driver's dominated and led off at the front but this season we've tend to have podcast. yeah the, this season we've tend to have something very different you know the french grand prix we had a couple of races well last race last race we we were saying how normally that's what that race is but it wasn't yeah. hysteria this weekend sort of was um, we'll, we'll have a quick talk about this. No, go on. I was going to say, I'm hoping for more excitement next weekend, as in the mm-hmm. weekend coming up, um, because it's my favourite race of the... It's just my favourite race of the season, normally. Well, I enjoy the track. I enjoy the fast laps that happens. I've yeah. even got a poster of it up on my wall. Like, yeah, I, if, you had, I really... if you had his camera on, you'd see it. Yeah, yeah you would, <laughs> but I don't. Yeah. But it, it is a great circuit, I agree, and it is so fast-paced. It's got you know so much good stuff on it. Um, and, and we said at the top of the podcast, you know, it was an incredibly dominant display from Verstappen. He ended up finishing 38 seconds ahead of Hamilton. Granted, Hamilton did take that last-minute pit stop, but even before that, he was a good 10, 12 seconds ahead of Verstappen, uh, of Hamilton even. You know, he, he, he really was dominant today. Lewis couldn't do anything about it. Um, Verstappen was never even challenged for that the lead of that race. There was never even a battle for it. In fact, all weekend, I think Verstappen was the dominant car through practice, through qualifying. You know, he got pole position. He was the fastest car. What What do you make of that dominance race? And what do you think Mercedes can do next week? Because, of course, like you say, we're at the same track next week. What can Mercedes do to counteract that? 
uh, change around the downforce and have a little play with the wings. They've got all the data now that they need um, that will show them what they need to do to the car sort of thing. Essentially, what's happened is that it's kind of like your Park Ferme rules has just been turned off for like a little bit. So, like, you've now got experience on that track and you can edit your car to what bets fits. So they should be doing that. They should be like, well, we thought that this would work in the race last week and it clearly didn't. So mm-hmm. let's do this. Go for go for something completely different. Go for a bit wacky, you know? Yeah. Because you, know you know that Red Bull are just going to keep to the same strategy and hope for the 30-odd second victory again. Do you think... So I'm going to talk about Hamilton. I'm going to go back to qualifying a little bit here. Hamilton in qualifying. I don't know about you, but for me, in qualifying, Hamilton just didn't look on it. He looked very much... Um, he looked I don't know very, what the word is. It was, I would it say, was a unique qualifying for Hamilton. It was yeah. different to what you've seen from him in the past. It's not that he looked unmotivated. He just kind of looked a little bit uninterested. And no, then when it I came think... down to the point of him actually trying to do something, he, was, he, he made that many mistakes to, in the laps prior that he had to have a perfect lap. And he he, he he made a mess of it. I'd argue the opposite, you see. I'd argue the opposite. I don't think he ever looked uninterested. He wanted that power position. I don't know whether it's a case of they didn't set the car up properly or not, but he just wasn't comfortable. Um, he very unique, and it's not something you often see at the start of, I think it was Q, Q2, or even, I think it might have been Q3 in the final qualifying session. He came out straight away, didn't hesitate, came out straight onto the track, before any other car did, which you don't ever see, because that cut that track is not at the temperature, it's not ready for a car on it yet. But he came on, he put a lap in. Then he came back in and he sort of ran um out of sync with all the other cars so that he'd have a clear track. Because obviously by that you'd assume it was traffic that Hamilton was quite worried about, that he was getting caught up in traffic and he couldn't get a good lap in. So he ran out of sync. Sorry, I was readjusting. Uh he ran out of sync with all the other cars. Um which was different and mm. ultimately I don't think did help him. And then on that last lap, the lap like you hard. say, they had to make it count. He pushed too hard and he made mistakes and he was all over the shop. Going into the final, you know, couple corners there, into the, the last penultimate corner, I think it was, took it way too wide in there, ran off the circuit and ultimately would have got the lap deleted regardless, even if he had improved. And he just looked out of shape. He looks very much not happy with the setup of that car whether or not that's something now that they can come back this weekend tweak it and be dominant or if it's something that this uh, this this car is not good enough for this circuit or you know it's lost its its spark Magic. do you know what i mean yeah 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 no i couldn't agree more i think um it's weird to see it's weird to see like someone like Lando Norris be up there battling the Red Bulls and the Mercedes. Although we could talk about that a little bit, um, mm-hmm. that little talking point. The fact that he essentially yielded the places to Perez and Bottas, even though he was running third, because um, as um, Ma- Martin said, is Martin, isn't it? Is mm-hmm. it? Martin yeah, as, as Martin Brundle. Yeah, as, what happened then? <laughs> as uh, as Martin said, McLaren need to choose where, uh, whether they run against the Mercedes or the Red Bull, or they run their own race, and they chose to run their own race. Yeah, but I'm not particularly happy at that with the McLaren, being a McLaren fan because it's just nice seeing one of our kind of cars running up there and like challenging for a podium. But they essentially took that away from Lando. Yeah, and I, I mean, Lando of course loves it. He's got his pit podium here in the in the past. 
he's always been very dominant around Syria. I think he was it fifth he finished in the end in this race. Uh, yes, yes, it, it was, was. Yeah, it was Pe- uh, Bottas, Perez, then then Norris wasn't in fifth. Yeah, and I mean he had a good race still. Could he have challenged with the Red Bulls and Mercedes? I don't think so. I think, like you say, it was it was a it was a strategy that sort of made sense because it was never going to happen. They were in, you know, Red Bull were a step ahead, but Mercedes were also up there this weekend. Uh, and he he would have compromised himself more, I think, if he'd have continued where he was, what he was doing uh, at the front. He yeah, would have no, impacted himself. Don't more. get me wrong. I understand why it was done. Mm. I just think as a racing fan, you want to see every everyone race to win. Mm, true. That, yeah, okay, that's true. I get that. I get that. So it was just frustrating to see him yield those two places. Like, even if he would have made the gap to Verstappen and uh, Hamilton bigger by staying in third and kind of slowing up uh, Bottas and Perez, mm-hmm. I think that if he would have chosen an alternate strategy to what them two would have chose, he could have really been up there trying to battle for a podium. Yeah. You're not so. wrong. You're not wrong. Um. Right, let, let's let's move on from it because it was a it was a weird Grand Prix. It wasn't a great Grand Prix. Could and we hopefully, um, go on? I was going to say, could we talk about uh, Max being a little bit of a naughty boy on his victory before we move on to this uh, last point? I don't want to because I think it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> no, we can. I just think it's Michael Massey just trying. I miss Charlie Whiting so much. I'm going to say that first <laughs> off. Charlie Whiting was the best race director Formula One ever had and ever will have. I think just Michael Massey, he he does not lift up, live up to what Charlie Whiting ever did or ever was. Like Charlie was was so good at what he did. He had such a good judgment on how to treat things. Mm. My example I'm going to use for Michael Massey. He in Baku when Max had that huge crash. And the entire pit lane was covered in debris, uh, and it would have been a huge danger. Took almost a lap to even trigger a safety car, and then ultimately a red flag. It what mm-hmm. that should have just been an instant. That's a safety car. He didn't. Ha- he shouldn't even have to think about it. And then Max Verstappen crosses the line with 38 seconds behind him to second place. Yeah, there's a few lap cars, but they should be slowing down too. That's the end of the race. Just slows down to celebrate with his pit wall, does a little burnout and carries on. Doesn't put anyone in danger. Everyone Michael comes out saying, oh, no, you won't be doing that again. That's not good. I think I can see both sides of the argument. And the only reason that I can see both sides of the argument is because everyone linked up um, the Latifi crash um, in one of the F1 groups. Have you seen that when... Um, someone uh, proper breaks to celebrate with their team while and Latifi goes straight into the back of them at quite a high speed. Well, that's just... But, you know, he wouldn't have done that if there was a car right behind him. And yeah. there wasn't a car right behind him. I think, you know, he was aware of his surroundings. He's a, you know, one of, he is probably the best one one driver in the world right now, along with Lewis Hamilton. He's not going to do it if there's a car coming straight behind him at full whack, you know. I don't know. I think it's, yeah, I think it's just stupid. You're allowed to celebrate. There's a there, there are rules in Formula One of celebrations, and the driver that wins is allowed to celebrate how he wants on the cooldown lap. He's allowed to do you know. There's a whole range of rules as long as it doesn't impact part Fermi, as long as it doesn't impact um, the you know weigh-ins and things like that. As long as he doesn't get loads of build-up on his tires, which a small burnout like that wouldn't do. 
he's allowed to do it. And Michael Massey just did it, I think, because he's trying. He's still trying to be kind of the guy, which he's never going to be. He's never going to be Charlie Whiting, and he needs to know that. I, I just don't like him. He's got a lot to prove. He's got a lot to prove in my eyes. Yeah, so I mean, I've, I've not got anything to really add to that. <laughs> I was just, I'm, I'm glad I brought it up though, because uh, you know, we, we love a good Tom rant on the review. Uh, oh man, that was, oh, that was a good Tom rant. So right before shall we, we go move on, on to, I was yeah. going to say, shall we move on to this absolute hideous bit of television? Yeah, before yeah, so before we get on to our predictions for next week's or well, this weekend's Grand Prix, I should say, let's talk about one of the. I didn't want to say worse because it wasn't bad. It was entertainingly bad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like it's one yeah, of those yeah. things where it's terrible, but it's sort of entertaining to watch because it's so bad. It's so, like um, like when you see people reacting to like car crashes and stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the bad, but you can't help but watch. Yeah. So of course we're talking about that interview, Daniel Ricardo. And John seen it in a weird mix of worlds. If you haven't seen this, go over to Sky Sports YouTube channel because it the, is just absolute gold. I think what made it worse is the way that Sky Sports uploaded it, but like must see interview and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it was just absolutely cringy. It wouldn't have been so bad if John Cena was there. That's the yeah, thing. Well, yeah, they should have waited the till the yeah they should have waited till like the US Grand Prix or summer and did it. I don't know. It, it, yeah. Oh. It's so so yeah for context. So Sky Sports decided it would be a great idea to promote the new Fast and Furious Nine film with Daniel Ricca- Daniel Ricardo sort of shoehorned in. I don't know if maybe they already had a like uh, interview with Ricardo lined up, and they were like, "Oh, John Cena's offered us to pay us like a hundred thousand pounds if we just interview him about his new film or something like that." And so they're like, "Let's just whack that all together." But I've never seen a. I've never seen an interview so awkward, but I've also never seen Daniel Ricardo so um, uncomfortable. Like Ricardo, uh, often is such a you know happy-go-lucky. Like he'll he'll sort of answer any question in the interview. He never seems uncomfortable or on the spot, does he? But it just felt so cringy, like how he was in that interview. He just was not not comfortable. Yeah, I think I think it's it's very much a. WWE thing, but even though it wasn't a WWE thing, because John Cena's not really affiliated with them anymore, yeah. um, it was a very like, oh, we'll shove you in this mainstream bit of media so that you can talk about this because it associates with what is on TV right now. In that case, being fast cars, um, I, I didn't like it. I mean, I don't like the Fast and Furious franchise, anyways, as you know, Tom. But I think <laughs> that. The, the fact that they took up 10 minutes of Daniel Ricciardo's time to put him through a really weird interview, uh, no wonder he didn't finish in the points. This this is the thing as well, though, but John Cena isn't even an actor well-established with the Fast and Furious fan- franchise. No, if they if brought in old, uh, Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel, yeah, if they brought in Vin Diesel or an actor that is well-known for being in that franchise. This is it's John Cena's first film. The Rock would have been an even better option. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It just feels so shoehorned and, and forced. And, and obviously... Even- I mean, I'm not oh. being funny. Silverstone's on next week. Uh, not, not next. Not next race weekend. The next race weekend after yeah. that. Two weeks One time. After that. Three yeah. weeks time or two race weekends time. Yeah. Anyways, um, that's a star-studded thing. Like that, you always get your stars at Silverstone, especially yeah. from like Britain. So there's going to be someone from a Fast and Furious franchise that would fly over and yeah. you know take part in it. It, it it's absolutely 
mental the it fact that they crazy. decided to do it over a video link uh, when they could have like even at Silverstone like to proper promote it to the UK fans which is what they were doing on Sky Sports F1 and have, a, have a parade well. yeah have a parade of the, the cars that are in the film going round or something yeah have, have Big John on top of one of the cars with, it, with a megaphone it sort of feels like what they've done is someone at the Fast and Furious sort of production offices is rang up Sky and said hey look you do that F1 stuff don't you um would you be able to promote our film with an interview with John Cena? Maybe no, talk to just one of the F1 drivers. And they've gone, yeah. how much are you going to pay us? I mean, there must have been a lot of cash involved for that to happen. Oh, I've, never seen, I've never seen Sky Sports promote a film that isn't one of their own Sky Originals before. I'll say that much. Yeah. Um, so there must have been a large amount of money to do it. How then Sky Sports managed to get to go to McLaren's PR person and say... Uh, could we get Daniel for an interview with John Cena? And that someone went, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> it's beyond me. Unless Daniel is a fan of the franchise, then I, I don't know. I wouldn't have even wished that on Nikita Mazepin. Like Daniel, like he said, he's a fan of the franchise and he, he sort of knows it. But it was, everything he sort of was talking to John Cena about felt very forced because you know Daniel hasn't seen the new film, so he doesn't know John Cena in Fast and Furious. Like. Yeah. He said, "Oh yeah, I know a few lines from the thing that you know a few few of my mates and us like to recite every now and then." And he gave a few lines, but none of them are even relevant to John Cena because they're all f- from like the first few films that he isn't even in. It was yeah. just the most cringy, forced, and uncomfortable thing. Oh, I hated it. I hated it. <laughs> right. Well, we, before we lose our main listening audience, shall we move on to uh, the predictions? Let's talk about Austria then, because once again, the title fight is fully on and Max now has an 18-point lead over Lewis. But Lewis has come back to do it before. He's come back and taken a title from you know a large deficit in the past. It is far from over, but as it currently stands, it is advantage for Stappen. But all this could change next week at the Austrian circuit once again with one race's experience under their wings, as we've said before, the teams now have a lot more data at their disposal to do something different. We'll see if they do. Um, Reese, do you think we'll see something different from the teams? What What are your predictions for next week? We'll, we'll start with the qualifying. I'm going to go for qualifying. I am going to go for Max to take it, Perez in second. And then I think... I'm going to say Lewis. However... Lando Norris was looking so incredibly good. Mm. Interesting. Um, So for my quality, so first, before I give my top three, I'm going to say I I think Russell will be in Q3 next week. Yes, yes. I think he'll do it. I think he's, you could tell how disappointed he was not to get into Q3 this week and then also not to get points in the race. He knows he can. He's being given a second chance to do something here and I think he'll want uh, want to capitalize on that. So I think George in Q3, that's my first qualifying prediction. I'm gonna th- I think Mercedes will come back. I think Mercedes won't let Rebel get another one upon them at the same circuit. So I think Hamilton pole, Verstappen second, Perez third. That's my guess for qualifying. Oh. Interesting. Yeah, I think Hamilton Hamilton won't won't let Mercedes, you know, uh mess up again. I'll say that. <laughs> Let's talk about the race then, Reese. What do you think our final race podium will look like? I am going to go for Lewis Hamilton will take the win. Max Verstappen will be second. And someone who we didn't expect will be third. Oh, a mystery third place. Yeah, so then when it is 
uh, Max, the, uh, when it is Lewis, then Max, and then just a random driver, I can say that I won the predictions. Right. So it's just basically saying, as long as it's not Bottas or Perez, then then you'll win. Yeah. Is, can, yeah. Can, can, we, can we go with that? Uh, sure. Why not? Why not? Yeah. Um, in that case, I'm going to say first will be one of the 20 drivers, second will be another of the 20 drivers, and but third... But not the one that was in first. And third will be uh, different of the 20 drivers. So there'll right, be one okay. of the 20 drivers in each in each position. That's my guess then. Right, well, it sounds like we've nailed that. So uh... <laughs> No, I think, I think Max will win. I think Lewis will be third and I think Perez second. I don't know. What a weird order to do it in. I think Lewis is going to lose his pole position and Rebel are going to come back in the race. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I mean, and hopefully it will be a good race either way. Uh, Reese, is there something else you want to say? I was going to say, I mean, it, the predictions that we do right now are more what we want to happen than rather what we think will happen. <laughs> very so. true, very true indeed. Right, well, thank you very much for listening to the Review podcast today. Thank you very much for being here with me, Reese. Uh, no problem. Thank you very much for, I was going to say, having me, but seeing as it's a joint venture, thank <laughs> you for allowing me to carry on with this joint venture with you, Tom. <laughs> it's been a cracker, uh, and hopefully next week we'll have a much better Austrian Grand Prix to talk about, because we were, scr- we were grabbing for straws in this episode, but uh, hopefully they'll give us more to cover. Uh, until then, I've been Tom. And I've been Brian. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.